Rhonda's Remedy. Today, my guest is Fake Zappa, who is a multimedia artist and mental health activist, whose real name, though, is Jason T. Ingram. Thank you so much for coming on my show today. Thank you, Rhonda. It's a big pleasure. When you were younger, you joined the Born Again Christians, and uh, because you were gay, they sent you to conversion therapy? You had told me? Uh, I was I was almost 21 when I became an adult convert um, to that world, and I adopted um, everything from the Republican Party to their views and everything like that, because they basically saved me, and they, they were my family. So that was very hard to leave. So my whole thing was not necessarily about any anybody telling me to do anything. Nobody outed me, if you know what that mm-hmm. expression is. Yeah, you know, nobody course, caught yeah. me doing anything. So I was upfront and honest with everybody, which was a good and a bad thing, <laughs> because I refused to be compartmentalized. I wanted to be the same person every day. I didn't want to turn into somebody else and live a secret life and then go back. Because How, how did they end up um, sending you to conversion therapy then? <laughs> Nobody sent me anywhere. I had to find out the best, most affordable place that I could go to that uh, was available, and there really wasn't many. I honestly believe with years and years of, you know, prayer and Bible study and sermons and all that, it was my reality that I was going to go to hell and and be punished eternally if I was going to, you know, accept having relations with men and acting on it. And that, that was why you went to this place in Kentucky? It was mostly fear. Fear of what? Um, fear of this uh, guy with a pitchfork and horns. I can't remember his name, though. I think Lucy? Satan? Lucifer? Satan, yeah. Or, or okay. Lucifer, yeah. So you were yeah, yeah. afraid for religious reasons uh, that's going to be consequence if you didn't not real to me yeah yeah because an adult convert is a whole different deal and when you're dealing with somebody i mean i gave up so much to have that faith i wasn't ready to give it up it was my whole world it saved me you know and in order to keep doing that it was just so much pressure i was either gonna have to be celibate my whole life and by my 30s i just couldn't handle that or i was gonna marry a woman and i couldn't handle that either so that's when you decide, okay, you go to this place at the conversion therapy place where they're supposed to uh, uh, take away your attraction to men and make you only attracted to women? That was the ultimate the goal. It's yeah. just, you know, all these places use different tactics because none of them work. So they're always reinventing the wheel and the wheel never works. So what they do, like what were some of the things they would do to try to convert you? Like It was actually... And this is very typical of forms of therapy, is really they're just focused on doing a lot of very intensive discipleship on hands, very confrontational type stuff, digging deep into your life or your family life. In this case, I mean, like they would say confrontational things about you personally, about your past? This particular organization. Mm-hmm. They love to blame what they call the student, but there's other ones where they like to put the blame on the parents or they like to put the blame here because, you know, you can't blame anybody for being gay. They're just born that way. But these guys have to come up with something. Right. And of course, nothing works. So they're always trying to come up with something different. Strangely, though, the organization that I went to 
has big lawyers, deep pockets. They managed to dodge the media and bombard the media with pro stuff. And uh, they've managed to convince even the gay community and not even an anti-gay organization. So it's very difficult to fight because I don't have the support of the LGBT. And when you were there, what did they do that was like so bad? Uh, sleep deprivation. Um, they would actually punishment. They unjust would punishment. Make you like hard labor. Hard labor, sleep deprivation, um, and public humiliation. Where would they publicly humiliate you? They would call people up during services or in groups wow. or even when you're walking around outside, they would yell at you. They would try to find something that they thought might have been wrong with you or they would make something up. They were just constantly trying to break people down. And, and how many were, people were there when you were there? Uh, 56 uh, students. And what were the age? About, uh, I think maybe almost a dozen what they call interns and then a there's another dozen or so staff members, and the ages were uh, everywhere from 18 years old up into their 70s. And I'm talking across the oh board. Oh, my God. There were people, people there in their 60s and 70s trying yes. to not be gay? And I mean, oh, you yes. think at that point, like, who cares? And they were mostly from the United States, a couple of them from overseas. We had a, quite a balance of African-American, Latino, white, everything. Well, at nighttime, did any of you guys just talk to each other and tell each other, like, what the hell are we doing here? This is, like, crazy. Uh, occasionally that would happen. But the thing was, is that particular organization used cultic tactics. So oh. we were so brainwashed that we were trying to get each other and ourselves to stay there. So we would try to convince ourselves and we'd try to convince everybody else to stay there. And if people doubted the system or whatever... Um, we would, it was creepy. I mean, there were uh, protocols put in place if somebody were to leave the program that they would do these really creepy things to the students who were leaving the program. And I won't go into detail about it, but this is a very, very cultic organization that has managed to get a lot of support from a lot of very well-meaning evangelicals. Does this place uh, still exist or this was from many years ago? They started in the early 90s, and last time I checked, which was recently, they still have their residential program, and, and it looks like they still have their outpatient, or whatever they call it, their long-distance program. So well. people still go to a place like this, even 2021? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is still a huge thrust with the anti-gay therapy stuff. It's just that they no longer have billboards. They saturate the Internet, and they've managed to keep it out of mainstream culture. And so people think that it's not a problem anymore. It is still very much a problem. Do you think that that means that there's still a lot of people who are still closeted, that if they do feel like they're gay, they're still afraid to come out and just live their life and be with who they want to be? In my experience, especially with rural America, we're talking about most of the mm -hmm. land that makes up our country. Uh -huh. has a huge percentage, an overwhelming percentage of men who are closeted. And I know this because I spend way too much time on gay dating apps. And most of these men will not participate in any public events. And most of them, ironically, won't even meet publicly, which is why I don't meet these guys. Because if they want to meet me privately, no thanks. <laughs> and so that's how freaked we, out they are. How do they... How do they get um, together with somebody sexually if they won't meet publicly? It's that these men will meet other closeted men, 
they will get a hotel room. They will agree to meet oh, there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I hear stories, and I'm going to start crying if I start telling them because they're horrible, Rhonda. Um, even in the last year, I've traveled through about 20 states in the last year. I've talked to a lot of men because a lot of men are more conscious because of COVID, but I still hear stories about guys who were in some horrible situations, and some of them couldn't even call the police because they didn't want to be outed in that situation. Yeah, I understand. So they would be with somebody who could be like the guy who told us about who's psychopath, sociopathic, and then they um, couldn't get uh, um, the, um, the law involved or in any way, so they would have to extricate themselves from the situation or... The uh, the sad stories that I'm talking about, well, there's, there's a couple different kinds. There's the guys that work... Um, on the right and the wrong side of the law. The guys who have been abusive to me were very good at dodging legal stuff. But the guys I'm talking about, the guys that luckily I have avoided, uh, the guys that have the faceless profiles that want to meet you in a dark alley and stuff like that, many of them are straight men who are criminals or that Mm. are involved in a criminal sect and they meet somebody and they got some other guys ready to jump them or whatever. Many of these men in rural America are not going to call the police, especially when there's money involved. Hmm. And that's actually quite common as well. So it'll be a guy who's married and closeted or with somebody, in a, uh, with a woman in a relationship, and he's acting out his sexuality, sexual feelings uh, by meeting somebody on an app and meeting in a some place in a room or someplace as a secret and then the the it could be a straight guy who's a criminal could meet up with him and then commit some crime to this guy this victim guy who's just looking to have some kind of experience or some intimacy with another man you know, it's quite his, common it, and well, it's still very common today and i think that it's not necessarily religion that is putting and keeping these men in the closet i think a lot of it is and from my experience most of it i blame to the lgbtq plus community because we are not making these safe places for rural american men and a lot of men who simply are alien to this culture and this culture is extremely rigid <laughs> gay culture and counterculture and these nonconformists ironically have a system of of talking and acting and being that is incredibly conforming to each other. And it's amazing how people have to um, uh, abide by these unspoken and unwritten rules. So it's not just that they have any kind of shame or humiliation about being gay, but they just don't want to be part of the culture. So that's why they're staying closeted. That's a big deal. Yes. And that's one of the things I research when I travel the country. And I'm thinking, is this a safe place for me? Well, I'm used to this. But how about all these other guys that I'm talking to? How about these church guys? How about these guys in the bar and the motorcycle clubs and that, you know, that are just so alien? Yeah, I've known gay men who told me they did not like the gay culture, even yes. though they were gay. Yes. And uh, one of the reasons they would try to get into relationships is because they wanted to be in a relationship so you didn't have to deal with the gay culture. So that's not some unusual thing that's about you that I've heard this oh, before. Oh, it can be really toxic, especially yeah. for mentally ill people and especially when you're dealing with a ranking system that has to deal with people who are obsessed with getting attention and visibility and friends and pageantry and all that. It's exhausting to try to keep up with all that. So can you tell us how you recovered 
from being in the cold and embracing your sexuality? I never recovered. That's the simple answer. I, I, I found that the resources and the people that do get the help and they do get their life back, they're privileged people. And they're a part of a sort of way of being that I just never had the social ranking. I never had these privileges. And honestly, I was way too fucked up for them to be able to handle the kind of trauma that I had. As far as coming out of the closet, I think that the, the, the catalyst, I would say 90 something percent of the reason why I came out was I was in a great relationship when I first came out of the closet for a couple of years. And it was just natural because we were living with each other and we both came out to his family and my family. And then 10 years later, I went back into the closet. And I'm still in the closet, so don't tell anybody, okay? Are you being sorry? What do you mean you're in the closet? You're, you're on a broadcasting, on a podcast, <gasps> talking about being gay. I am publicly closeted. I think I'm the only gay man who is public about his closeted status. I call it closeted pride. I am a spokesman for the closeted community because I love these people and I don't blame them. Oh, for being closeted? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you have any advice for anybody who's listening or know somebody who is closeted and they want to come out? Do you have any advice to give to them? Well, um... I would say start with the gay community centers, and if you don't like them, it's not your fault. And if that they don't accept you and you don't like their culture, you could create your own community. You could have a healthy relationship and not feel like you have to conform to a whole bunch of weird stuff that you don't necessarily agree with. That's the uh, short version. The long version is I have 100,000 words on my website about that. Oh, okay. So people can go on your website and read um, your blog and hear your music. Can you just tell us um, about your music and your art? Okay. Uh, this is my fifth year uh, using the stage name as Fake Zappa. Fake like fake news. Zappa like Frank Zappa, the late multimedia artist who is known as a rock and roll guitar player, but he made his living doing mostly satire, but he was a gifted self-taught classical composer and there was a lot of parallels in my life and he was lucky to get discovered at a young age and I've been trying for years and I thought this would be a great thing to do as a big project to have a solo project as an entertainer visual artist writer speaker author videographer and producer and composing music and I also run a band as well so if they go on your website, they can see all of your art and your your videos yep, and your easy. blog. It's just um, yeah. uh, fakezappa.com. Thank you so much, Fake Zappa, for coming on Rhonda's Remedy. Uh, your story has been so interesting, and I think it's very enlightening for a lot of people. And thank you so much for sharing your honesty and your authenticity. Um, it's really been, um, it's, it's sort of been interesting sort of taking this journey with you through some of the unbelievable things that you've gone through that maybe people have gone through as well, but don't want to talk about, or it's just to being, it's good to be exposed to this and know certain things that other people have gone through that it's not being talked about or exposed, you know, and thank you for listening to Rhonda's Remedy. Mm -hmm.